good movie buddies to another episode of the Popcorn Diet Podcast, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other various movie snacks like malted milk balls, which aren't called that anymore. They were called Whoppers. They keep changing their name. Now you don't find Whoppers anymore. They're Maltesers. Whatever they are, they're delicious. As per usual, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy. And with me today, we have a special guest for a special topic, the original good movie buddy, my father, meet Padre, Pops, Mr. David Williamson. And if there is anybody <laughs> who talks more than me, it's probably you. Uh, so I'm going to have to play the role of David Melhorn today. We'll, we'll, I'll have to try and rein you in. This is going to be real interesting. <laughs> um, but I'm very happy to have you on the podcast. I'm very excited uh, because like, the reason I'm a movie freak is because of you. I blame you. Uh, I've talked about this in 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 quite a few episodes where Jurassic Park, Starship Troopers, like these movies that you, <laughs> you brought me to when I was a kid, they made me who I am today. So it's really cool. I, I'm super pumped to have you on here because this week's episode takes a look at the Western, which isn't exactly, I mean, this every episode that we've done so far has been action movies or comedies or heist movies or whatever. So the Western, I don't know, is something that really reaches out to the typical podcast listener, the millennials, you know what I mean? Because the Western genre has certainly tapered off but nonetheless i think the westerns that we do get the modern westerns are really good like we don't get them a lot but the ones that we do are pretty damn good um and one of the reasons that i wanted you on this particular episode was because like westerns were part of how you raised me you john wayne is like it's literally like john wayne it's it's basically god is at the top and then john wayne is slightly below that you had all the plates <laughs> You have you have a room dedicated to John Wayne, um, but like one of my you know as much as I talk about Jurassic Park being my first theater going experience, one of my first movie memories was watching Hondo in 3D with the 3D glasses on at, at home. Do you remember the old television, the old wood television we had? It was like our first, my first TV. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was our Curtis Mathis. We. Best television ever made 40 years ago. It's the last American-made television. There you go. We hauled that TV from Wisconsin to Arizona. That Very few things came, but the TV had to come with but me. But the TV came. Um, and so I remember watching Hondo in 3D with the 3D glasses on, and I just... I just, I just remember that. It's just one of the... 3D with the dog and John Wayne. And so really I wanted to bring you in and talk about... Westerns. If anybody is an expert on Westerns, it's you. Um, and we just got back from seeing Wind River, which is the new, newest uh, Taylor Sheridan movie. And we'll get into talking about that a little bit later. That's We'll, we'll do our little reviews and, and comment about it. Um, but Westerns have been around forever. How? I mean, oh, full, full warning, guys, everybody listening. Like, we're going to dive deep. Like... <laughs> We're going to go into some movies that even I haven't heard of. Like you were talking about some that I'm like, okay, like I believe, sure, that makes sense. Um, but uh, <laughs> so one of the coolest parts about the Western, I think, was how they started and how they uh, evolved. Because Westerns were some of the first films ever made. Exactly. Um, Actually, one of the very first movies ever made was The Great Train Robber. Exactly. And uh, one of the first silent movies. And uh, Westerns had a heyday in silent movies, and then they uh, kind of tapered off to where they were the B-Westerns that you know, sent the kids to on you know Saturdays for 10 cents instead of the major releases. And uh, they, right. they lost a certain glow till John... Ford's stagecoach with John Wayne came out and made him A-list movies again mm -hmm. and made John Wayne an A-list actor after 10 or 12 years in Hollywood. Kind of putzing around and stuff. And that's you're exactly right. We actually talked about the great train robbery in our heist episode being that it was like the first blockbuster. Yeah. It was 12 minutes long and it had the shot of the guy shooting a gun. And that at the time 
people lost their minds. Oh. That was like Avatar. <laughs> right? Like people go people went into Avatar seeing 3D and shit and they were just like, "Oh my god." That was what it was like when that guy, the the cowboy, the the, the bandit was pointing his gun at the camera and pulls the trigger. People were dodging out of the way. They thought it was real. Well, one of the things we don't take into consideration was that wasn't very long after the West was wild. Right. And so a lot of people that saw that as being real lived through times that that was kind of real. Sure. You know, I mean, obviously the movies are exaggerated to some degree, but uh, the great train robbery, you know, Jesse James was robbing trains into the, you know, late 1800s. Sure. So that wasn't that far removed. If you were a kid that heard about Jesse James and, 1886 you you know 1890 and you saw a movie in 1915 1918 you know you were 30 year 35 year old man then but you remembered all those adventures as children right um you know that's one of the things that made western so popular sure and and they started out like like we said back back in the all the way from the silent era to the 30s for the most part they were pretty white hat black hat good guy bad guy there were laws in place that actual laws in the country uh kind of like how we have the ratings board now and things like that so maybe not laws but but rules and regulations that bad guys can win the good guy had to triumph at least in those original movies and then as you said they evolved they evolved into the third going into the 30s and the 50s after we went through one world war and then a fucking depression and then another war like literally america just kind of getting kicked in the dick in all different ways then westerns really became popular i think and, and a lot of people think because it had the strong heroic man it had the guy that you know, lived in this area where there weren't as many rules and where you had to handle it yourself and frontier justice and all that. And, you know, the like you said, the West had only just recently been, quote unquote, tamed. Certainly, right? certainly. It's it's one of those things where, you know, the Western still gave people a sense of the freedom and the expansionists of the country and the the you can do it attitude and it also gave people a certain sense of you know pride in how the country was explored and discovered and sure. and, and expanded and so when people in the 30s and 40s watch westerns that was grandma sure you know those were close like, you know those were like home movies of grandma that was a, a simpler time when right and wrong war uh you know Black and white, right, you know. Right. We'd go back and we talk about uh, uh, old westerns, but talk about something that was one of the greatest, you know, television miniseries was Lonesome Dove, mm -hmm. you know, and one of the most uh, memorable parts in that to me was when they had to hang their buddy. Mm -hmm. You ride with outlaws, you die with outlaws. Yep. You know, we, we had a simpler system then. Right. Exactly. Good and bad, and it wasn't so gray. And then it started, but then it started getting gray. And as as with everything, westerns evolved. It really started at the end of the fifties because High Noon came out. High Noon's regarded as one of the best westerns ever made. And and what's really funny is that High Noon really pissed off Howard Hawks and John Wayne. Oh, yeah. And then and then they went and they literally made a rebuttal movie in Rio Bravo. But they're almost the same movie. Like High Noon is about uh, the sheriff. Who I mean, and again, you know, it, this isn't necessarily my opinion on it, but it's about the sheriff basically looking for help. Who's gonna help me out? I got this guy. I gotta get him on the train. His buddies are coming. I'm fucked. I need help, and no one will help him. And a lot of people saw it, and the and the reason that that film was made was as sort of an allegory for McCarthyism and blacklisting because the writer was blacklisted and kicked out of the country. Yeah. Um. And that was kind of the I'm on my own. Everyone's turning against me. Uh, which is really funny because it still celebrates the single man, you know, this not man, but the single hero bound by duty and law. But he's kind of running around looking for help. And then Rio Bravo came out because Howard Hawks and John Wayne, John Wayne literally came out and said, I think it's one of the most un-American movies ever made. I'm not sure, but I believe that John Wayne was offered the High Noon Oh, movie interesting. And said, I wouldn't play that 
Crybaby. I wouldn't play that Crybaby. <laughs> I don't. Well, that's and again, Rio Bravo is almost the, the it's epitome. The, it's the oh, yin yeah. and the yang. Yeah. Because it's the same thing. It's it's one. It's the it's uh, chance the sheriff. Yep. Uh, and he's got a guy in jail, and his crew's gonna come and get him. And he's got his loyal hands, who are all skilled. He's got his drunk Dean Dean Martin as the drunk buddy. Ex gun. He's yeah. got Ricky Nelson as the young kid, the young gunfighter. He's got um, uh, the the woman in it whose name escapes me, and Angie I can't. Angie Dickinson. Angie Dickinson. And but then all the other townspeople are like, "Let us help you, sheriff." And he's, "No, I don't need you. You're just gonna get out there and get yourself killed." And, and so it's the same thing, but it's the inverse. Oh, completely, completely. That's fascinating to me. And uh, yeah, it uh, it's uh, interesting how the two different stars approached the two different movies because Gary Cooper, you know, was at the end of his career towards High Noon, and John Wayne was the new Gary Cooper kind of right uh, taken over that. But you know, Gary Cooper had played the quiet, silent uh, uh, man of few words for so many years. It was kind of. Uh, opposite in typecasting you know sure. to make him a guy looking for help because and most of his previous movies he was this singular hero right and you can th even he played comedies as cowboys and right he, modern day cowboys of course they were in the 30 modern days sure. so they were on uh, cruise ships which were <laughs> you know the form of transportation then and that might be one of the reasons we don't see as many Westerns anymore. People can't take their horses on airplanes. It's true. It's very <laughs> difficult to move them around. Um, and that sort of, that, you know, that whole um, dichotomy of High Noon versus uh, Rio Bravo, which Rio Bravo got remade. Like, people pull from Rio Bravo. They pull from both. Well, John Wayne remade that again right. with El Dorado. Yep, with, uh, where it was Robert Mitchum, and, and he uh, was the drunk. Yep, and uh, the singer was... Uh, uh, James Caan. I think yeah. it was, yeah. except... And he didn't sing. No, oh, and he sucked with a gun, yeah. but he was good with a knife. Yeah. Um, but what that segued into was the 60s and the 70s. With And, and as, we, as I mentioned before, movies change when the sociopolitical nature changes around them. It just, you can see it. You can actually track it, whether it be in comedies, where you look at the slapstick comedies of the 90s, like Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber, how those aren't popular now, because we like more witty comedies, more improvisational comedies. Same thing with horror movies, where you have a string of zombie movies, and you have a string of supernatural, and then slasher movies. Everything evolves, and Westerns evolved with Vietnam in the 60s and 70s because Americans started getting a more, let's say, complex look at themselves. And also, for that matter, filmmakers started learning about how to make – I mean, I don't know how to say this. I was going to say filmmakers started learning how to make film. But they really started – kind of like how High Noon and Rio Bravo stand for something larger than themselves – Filmmakers really started implementing theory and different concepts into movies that maybe weren't about directly those concepts, you know? Well, like like you said earlier, you know, in the seven, 60s and 70s, the movies started to change, Right, you know? they got more violent, they well, got more gray area. Well, not only that, you got way, you know, the, the uh, good guy was a bad guy. Right. You know, Butch Cassidy and Sundance, right. you know, look at the Wild Bunch, yep. you know? Look at those movies of Sam Peckinpah's, you know. Yep. Every, even the good guy was an SOB, mm -hmm. you know. And, so. and that's The Wild Bunch is a great example because it's it's definitely one of the more, especially for the time it was made. I mean, it was made in 69, and it's super violent. Like, for some movie in 69? Oh, yeah, slow motion squids Blood, everywhere. Yeah. yeah, you watch it now, and you're like, that ain't shit. I see things <laughs> worse than that on CBS. Yeah. Like literally, like not even Game of Thrones, CBS. <laughs> Where's the guy with the machete chopping off? Exactly. Heads, you know? <laughs> but back then, um, people, pe you know, not only did Peckinpah and The Wild Bunch is a great example because Peckinpah, I love looking at that film as basically like Peckinpah's fighting for the old ways. It's the old group of ragtags and and you know sons of bitches that are fighting against. Ultimately, the machine gun. Well, you the, know the the encroachment of society, right? The civilization of man, right? As they would call it, you know, it's a, the West ain't the West anymore. It's been civilized, right? You know, and so, but yeah, it was civilized with trains and machine guns, right? And you know, artillery, and so 
it wasn't quite as civilized as you'd like to think it was. No, no. Well, then, I mean, you you saw, and the film in general evolved, from filmmaking in general evolved, but then Spaghetti Western, Sergio Leone, and Clint, the rise of Clint Eastwood, a lot of people don't, a lot of normal casual moviegoers don't remember that A Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More, Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, like, those are Italian films. Yeah. They were shot in Spain. Yeah. Um, but they dealt with the same thing, where it was a hero that was a selfish hero. It's out for himself, kind of, yeah. you know, and kind of a chaotic neutral where I'm going to look out for me. And if that means I got to help this village, then fine. But for the most part, your heroes started getting more complex. And then that moved into the 80s, where I think the Western pretty much just died. I think if you look at I think a lot of film died in the 80s. <laughs> 80s weren't exactly the... A lot of people would say that about music, too. So. Music style. <laughs> 80s were just... Everybody kind of stopped in, like, 93 and was like, wait a minute, we need to fix our shit. As a, as a child of the 80s, I'm just, you know, put that out there. But you didn't really see... I mean, there's... From the 80s, there are not a lot of popular Westerns. There's the Outlaw Josie Wales, which is the same thing. It's It's more of a looking at kind of revisionist western is what people started to call it not in the sense that they were revising history but in the sense that they started to take a more complex look at the relationship with the american indian and right. instead of instead of as we talked about it before either treating them as the noble like the quote-unquote noble savage or the bad guys where you had the good like you had the apache and there was some good apache but then there's that one bad motherfucker right well it's funny because you can look at you know movies made and there there was a uh, couple of movies made about Geronimo and one of them you're talking about the earlys uh was made with Chuck Connors of all people see to I play, told you it'd be deep cuts to play Geronimo right the rifle man right six a lot six, of white six, people eight. playing a lot of <laughs> six eight blue-eyed yeah, white whitey playing Geronimo he's playing the five Indian foot hero. four little chubby Indian right you know? <laughs> And so, yeah, we had a lot of that going on. And and that changed. I mean, the 80s, some of that changed, but you well, also had some... It's, not to interrupt, but no, it's please. one of those things where the, even the Chuck Connors movie was, you know, and we seem to remember that the Indians were always treated as the bad guys, but even the Chuck Connors Geronimo had him being kind of persecuted, you know? Sure. And they, they kept coming after him, and, you know, I think they killed his wife or something sure. to make him... And you look at the the... The later Geronimo made with uh, Stubi, uh, Wes Studi. Wes Matt Studi. Damon in Matt that Damon one. Yep. was in that with, uh, um, what's his name? The guy from Speed 2. Oh, Jason Patrick. Jason Patrick yeah. was the good guy. That's right. And even that movie was how, you know, rotten we treated the Indians. Right. So I don't, you know. But and, that was the new movie. That was well, the new one that was that goes into that little revisionist where we started looking at the West differently. I, I, like a little I, bit. I, well, I think so, too. I, but I think that came sooner with, like, John Ford's uh, Cheyenne Autumn. Again, you know, probably made in the 60s. Okay. And it was uh, about the, the great Indian march to reservation that sure. just destroyed the whole tribe. I don't remember which sure. tribe. But Cheyenne, I guess, because Cheyenne Autumn. <laughs> there you go. That makes <laughs> and sense. And that kind of stood for the autumn of the Cheyenne people. That was the end of, right. you know— and so it had a double whammy going on. And again, the army was made to be the bad guy. Right. The, the, the colonel. We started the, looking at. Yeah. The, and so they didn't, you know, as much as we remember the Indians being the bad guys. Right. That I, It's hard to really remember that in, in very many movies. Where sure. The, where it was just the Indians were the terrible people. Well, especially, I think you got those more in the more low-budget kind of shitty movies where with the bad guys were either robbers or Indians. When yeah. you get those movies called Cheyenne Autumn, I mean, or or movies about Geronimo, then yeah, those Indians are going to be painted in a more... And John Ford made The Searchers, where John Wayne was, you know, the bad guy. Right. Chasing after the batter guy. Right. And so it's again anti-heroes. Yeah, and it wasn't white hat, black hat anymore. No, he came home from the Civil War and had more money than he should have. Right, and never surrendered, and you know, uh, spent years chasing after the Indians that kidnapped his daughter. Right, and the, the the Indians were you know other than they had you know kidnapped the daughter and had done some savagery things in the process sure. of, of the beginning of the movie. 
they weren't necessarily depicted again as the the sure. savage uh, that so many people like to think they were. Right. And so after so after the 60s, 70s, 50s, after all that, we get to the 90s. And the 90s was, I think, both of the swan song of the Western and also sort of the birth of, a, of the new Western. Because you saw, again, as we've been talking, you really got more, like you had Dances with Wolves, Best Picture winner. Right. Like way more, more about, less about the cowboys and more about the Indians now. Which was still happened, but you got it more prominently. Um well, and and even, unforgiven. Even, even in Dances with Wolves, you know, the Calvary became the bad guys. Right, right, the exactly. were the noble. They were the know. noble people. They were the indigenous and, people. And I'm not quite sure that was very accurate because, well, they, you know, they were battling each other sure. all the time, you know. So there was the other bad guy Indians that they fought and off then, in Dances with Wolves. So, they, you know. Speaking of bad guys, you got Unforgiven. Yeah. Which is a movie that's just all about bad guys. Yeah, everybody's a bad guy in that movie. And that movie. was Clint's last. Clint Eastwood's, I think, I don't think he's done a Western since then. That was his last one in 92. Won a bunch of Oscars, obviously. Um, and, yeah, he was a son of a bitch. And he's just like, I've been a killer my whole life, and I'm gonna kill you know I'm gonna kill you, little Bill, and and all that kind of Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman, uh, but then you saw the rise of sort of the histor and the historical western, and not so much in the fact that they haven't been like they've been making okay corral movies, and they've been making historical westerns. Literally, a bunch that you listed was Geronimo and uh, Cheyenne Autumn, anything that had to do with Little Bighorn. There's a ton Wild Bill Hickok. There's a ton of quote unquote historical westerns. That always took the general idea of something and then dramatized, yeah. dramatized it. So like the the OK Corral with um, Burt Lancaster was Burt Lancaster and Kirk, Kirk Douglas. Um, yes. Um, that movie's like an hour thirty minutes long, and the gunfight at the OK Corral is like twenty minutes, where they're dodging and they're in different buildings and shit like that. But then you got Wyatt Earp, Tombstone. We want to take a more, you know, pulled back look at our heroes. Uh, particularly Wyatt Earp was super popular in the mid-90s um, and some of the best. But then we get to today, in the 2000s and beyond, where I think you start seeing not gritty Westerns, so to speak, but you get a little bit more of the romanticism taken out of the depiction and more in the characters. Open Range is a great example, or even Deadwood is a great example of where the West was dirty, and it was shitty, and there was a lot of actual genuine shit in the streets, <laughs> and mud, and blood, and sweat, and and it was probably gross living out there, you know? I mean, they, as I say, recording in a cushy studio, um, and I think a lot of the new modern Westerns show the hardships of the time Without like, there's not a lot of shots of people standing out on the hill looking over the beautiful open plain. You're much more likely to find people trudging along in the mud, which is probably more. I mean, you know, they were all probably had their various levels of accuracy, but I think that they changed so that that romanticism and that yearning. Because we always talked about the yearning of the simpler time, and the yearning of of the 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 just the excitement yeah. of the old west. You didn't find that in the surroundings. You found that in the characters, right, and in the people. And some of the yeah, some of the more modern uh, brings more of the drudgery to life. Right. I think of a couple of uh, the movies that. Um, oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> Who's in it? I'm Throw them at me. I can't. I'm. Th I'm went brain dead. I'm trying to think of. Uh, we get like Jack. Your Nicholson. Nicholson. He made a couple of different westerns that were. He made one with Walt, uh, with uh, Marlon Brando. Again, these are going back into sure. like the seventies and eighties, you know. Sure. But they were, and uh, they were kind of what you would call the art house western. They right. were, you know, changing right. the west. When or it was like making, making them. even freaking um, Robert Altman made a western with McCabe and Mrs. Miller. That wasn't. That one was hard to watch. It was well, yeah, hard that's to Robert Altman. It was hard to follow. That's was... Robert Altman in general. <laughs> yeah. Although Network was good, you know. I right, there you go. can't take this anymore. They should have done that with a Western. And so one of my favorite parts about Westerns is how they don't have to be about the West. Westerns are very, they're archetypes. Westerns are built around archetypes. They're built around 
good versus evil a lot of the time or sort of good versus really evil um they're built around um you know adventures and and character types and things like that and i always love how westerns you know we get them sparingly now you know we we just saw wind river last year we got hell or high water which are westerns quote unquote even though they're set in modern times but even you know every once in a while we get like bone tomahawk which was crazy with kurt russell um or even the lone ranger which was weird as shit but that was set back <laughs> in the day and i just like how westerns don't necessarily have to be westerns like die hard Die Hard carries a lot of the tropes of a Western, the lone the lone sheriff against the band of robbers. Sure. Um, same with Star Wars or Firefly. Those are your sci-fi westerns. Sure. Your band of your band of uh, your posse going going and in, in whether they be criminals or whether they be good guys because Firefly they were they were basically Confederates, you know, and yeah. kind of going across the galaxy was their frontier. Um, Logan, you know, this the most recent Wolverine movie, pulls a ton from westerns. One of my and Westworld. I mean, if we're gonna bring <laughs> movies into it, I mean, talk about deconstructing the western mythos of good black hat, white hat, things like that. One of my favorite ones is is how Akira Kurosawa and his films Seven Samurai. Akira Kurosawa's relationship with westerns is very like incestuous in a uh -huh. way that like. Kurosawa pulled a lot of his initial um, influences from Westerns, and then Westerns pulled their influences from Kurosawa, and then vice versa, back and forth. And I just think that that's really cool that w Westerns can be anything. They can be Kung Fu Westerns, like Shanghai Noon. Yeah. Um, they can be sci-fi Westerns, like literally Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah. Uh, comedies, Blazing Saddles, Three Amigos, those are all Westerns. Yeah. Um, and then the epics, you know, like you get like your big epic westerns, like your The Revenant. Right. It's kind of like your epic frontier movie. I just, I, I, and maybe it's because of how you raised me, but there's, and I think it part of it is because of how you raised me. I think part of it is westerns in general. No matter what, even if you make a bleak, like cynical western, there is still an undeniable romanticism in in a western movie about the days of old, about the cowboys and living on a frontier when things were relatively simple. That's just the genre in general. That and I think part of it, uh, which nobody really looks at or didn't, uh, we haven't talked about anyway, sure. is that you know the old westerns were shot out west. And people didn't travel back then like we do now. They didn't hop on a plane and be and the west in five hours or four right. hours or three hours they actually had to either get on a bus or a train or you know to go to california from wisconsin was a big deal in 1960 took you months you know well in 1860, in 1860. It took you months. 1960 <laughs> took you a week yeah you know it took you a week to you drove route 66 you know right. so it, first interstate highway is how they traveled out west then so it wasn't something so popular that you know like your generation has been around everywhere already, right. you know. You and you see, and I actually have a question based off of that because it's a really good point. You see a lot of people now. You might not, but I do, especially in my generation, the millennials and the young people and all that. You see a desire to disconnect, right? Even though we are connected, and even though it's part of life. I mean, hell, we're sitting here doing a podcast. Sure. You see a big desire to disconnect. Do you think that you could that we could see a resurgence in westerns? Because of that desire, because it kind of tells that old story about being disconnected. Well, I think to a little bit, you know, it's a genre that'll never die, and sure. I don't know that we'll ever see it be come back to its popularity of the you know fifties and sixties sure. when it was everywhere and everything. I mean, all TV was full of westerns. You right. know, uh, there's fifty or sixty westerns on a week. You know, right. so it was hard to find something that wasn't a western. So I don't think we'll ever get there again. But um, I think we'll always have the western genre. I think even like you said, even if they're made in modern times. But what we talked about earlier was the remake of the Magnificent Seven mm -hmm. and how the first Magnificent Seven. You know. You barely saw bullets uh, pop up in the dust. 
and the new remake, well, they must have blown up, you know, a thousand gallons of gasoline. Yeah. You know? And so a lot they had of explosions. to make, make bigger booms, bigger, you know, more excitement to, to compete with Star Wars. You know, how do you compete with all the laser blasts if you don't, you know, gunfight just doesn't quite do it anymore. And then a lot of it has to do, I think, with the, and I think you'll agree with this, is the cut and slash editing of more modern movies. Sure. They don't give you the long shot and the expansive look of the Western. When you look at some of the, the old Westerns and you see they were made in, you know, Monument Valley. They were made in Sedona. They were right. made in where the in Utah. They were made in the most beautiful places in the West that made everybody yearn for right. the West. Right. You didn't really see anybody being made in a, you know, a grass, uh, you know, what do they call them? The, uh, where they chopped up the grass out of the ground and made houses out of them. Oh, I don't, I can tell you the name of it. (laughs) Anyway, they're, well, they, I mean, in, in reality, when the people came out here, they lived in very meager means. They made their houses out of mud and, you know, they lived a drudgery in a, in a life that was constant work, you know, and that, never shows up and you don't even see an outhouse in most westerns no, so you're not no. sure their guns never ran out of bullets and they never had to use a bathroom you know <laughs> <laughs> um and so that brings us to the uh the feedback the user feedback that we wanted to bring back wasn't a lot of uh time for users to give us feedback and also i wasn't anticipating a lot of feedback for favorite westerns um but we did get some good pieces of information as always uh, we want you to follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And we pose a question of what your favorite Western is of all time. And we encourage you to think outside the box. Most of you, though, didn't have to. Um, so David, our our typical good buddy co-host here, had to chime in with Tombstone. Tombstone's one of his favorite movies of all time. And so we had to bring that in. Not only did David mention that, but uh, Megan Shawless on Facebook mentioned Tombstone as well. Uh, we also have uh, Leah Theodosis on Instagram throughout Blazing Saddles, one of the best one of the best comedies of all time, probably the best comedy western. That was a short story. That was the movie I took your mother to. Okay, on our first date. Oh, really? Yep. Crushed it. Crushed it. Crushed it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I love it. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, And then on Facebook, we had a lot of really good feedback as well. Robert Ensley brought up Quigley Down Under, which is one of, uh, going back and revisiting it, Quigley Down Under is badass. Great movie. Great movie. Also kind of goes back to what we were talking about before where you had Westerns come out of all different regions. You had Italy, you had Asia, you had Russians, Russian Westerns. These That was kind of the Australian Western, the kangaroo Western, yep. if you will. Um, Bill Winterberg brought up The Three Amigos, a classic comedy, one of the best plays on the Magnificent Seven, but turn it into a comedy. Like, we need this group of heroes, except the group of heroes are a bunch of actors who don't know what they're doing. And didn't know they were heroes. And didn't know they were heroes. Uh, Fantastic turn on that trope. Uh, Paul Cantrell said, picking a favorite is impossible, but he mentioned Once Upon a Time in the West. I mean, talking about big, sweeping Western epics. one One of the originals. Henry Fonda is a bad guy. Which was crazy at the yeah, time, you know, right? When they made it, that was totally uh, that was Mr. Rogers, you right. know. That was he's Henry Fonda was, you know. That would be actually uh, really cool to see Mr. Rogers. of Wrath. He was, you know, guy. he was the. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was the perennial good guy. Mm-hmm. So to have him be, and then put Charles Bronson as the good guy, as the good guy, was who's... really a twist on uh-huh. uh, what was originally. Uh, the Western, and it's funny, we talked about Wyatt Earp a couple of times, Well, and I talked about John Ford. Well, he made a movie called My Darling Clementine, right? which was about Wyatt Earp. Okay. And that's one of those movies where they ran around the barn, yeah. and they fought for 20 minutes, and, when the- you know, they uh, John Ford just made the whole, you know, story up. Earps right. were cattle drivers then, and right. they, he had a girlfriend named Clementine, where the name of the movie came from. And, you know, Which none wasn't freaking real at all. <laughs> none of that had anything to do with history, but Henry Fonda was the hero, you know. Right, of course. Um, and then we also have Jeremy McConaughey, who was our uh, guest 
a few episodes ago, uh, mentioned the original Magnificent Seven. You know, we talked about the remake, uh, both great films, both plays on the Seven Samurai uh, as well. Um, and then Spencer, who actually came with us to see Wind River, although because I don't have the number of microphones that are required to have him join in on this podcast, he wanted to throw in his two cents for the quick and the dead uh, and young, young Guns. Oh, hell yeah, Young Guns. How can you forget about Young Guns, the rock and roll Western with the young pretty people yeah. uh, at the time? Well, Spencer, that's funny because, again, your mom, favorite movie, Quick and the Dead. Right. I, mean, I don't know if it's just because she liked a woman kicking ass. She or, kicked all kinds know, of ass in that movie. Your mother's an ass kicker. so. And, <laughs> and then last but certainly not least, Curtis Ware brought up uh, the, the, the one of the greatest miniseries ever made, uh, Lonesome Dove, as, as being um, part of his favorite Western. But as I said before, we always want to know your feedback, so please do us a favor. Follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. We ask these questions all the time. We want to make you a part of the podcast at the popcorn diet and you can go ahead and be a part of the show and that leads us into our conversation about wind river now we're going to do as we typically do about 15 minutes or so where we just talk about the movie in general and then we can get into spoilers uh anything particular that we liked without really really uh spoiling it uh at the beginning but wind river is the latest movie from writer director taylor sheridan and if you're not familiar with taylor sheridan right now you should be at least if you're a movie lover uh he's currently one of my favorite writers working in Hollywood as the second I hear about a Taylor Sheridan written movie, I am interested. Um, and Taylor Sheridan uh, wrote um, Sicario and Hell or High Water the last uh, 15, 16, 17. He's actually had a like every year. We've gotten a Taylor Sheridan movie. We've we've been very lucky. But Sicario, Hell or High Water, and then with this movie, Wind River, he sort of wraps up his his modern Western trilogy. Um, and one of my favorite parts about all three of those movies is how they could be set in the 1850s if with very little changes. Hell or High Water was one of my favorite films of last year. It was my number two film behind L.A. Confidential, or uh, L.A. Confidential, uh, La La Land, my bad. Um, and uh, he was a writer on those films, on Sicario and on Hell or High Water. But with Wind River, he made the choice to direct this film as well. Um, and I thought he crushed it. I thought he knocked it out of a par- out of the park. One of the biggest reasons that he wanted to direct this movie um, was because he does have very close ties to, to the Indian community, to the Native American community and Indian reservations. And he felt that he couldn't really trust anybody else to make this movie because they might approach it from a different standpoint. He actually, um, the way he said it was, he, he was worried that people would approach it from a social justice warrior standpoint and try to make it uh, too obvious. And so he, throughout the making of this movie, would constantly go back to his Native American friends and the people who he grew up with and ask them their opinions. Is this OK? Is this how it would go? And I think you see that in this movie. But essentially, the story of Wind River is a uh, murder mystery. I mean, it's it's not unlike CSI Wyoming, <laughs> you know, where they find um, uh, uh Jeremy Renner plays a uh, U.S. wildlife hunter, tracker. His main job is to shoot the wolves and keep them away from the livestock and keep them away from the important areas. And he comes across a frozen dead body six miles away from any form of civilization. And it becomes this investigation where they bring in the FBI agent uh, Banner, who's played by Elizabeth Olsen. So we got a little bit of an Avengers team up there. We got Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch in this movie. And it's basically a murder mystery. Who did it? Uh, why did they do it? Hunting down the leads and things like that. But it also deals with the dynamics of Native Americans living on this land and the hardships that they have to go through and kind of how certain people, not everybody, because you uh, have a lot of connections with the, the Native American community here in in Arizona. Uh, I spent a lot of time as a kid on the reservations. Um, but how kind of outsider white people, for lack of a better word, come in and they don't understand anything about the society or anything like that. And I thought it did a really good job there. Um, but yeah, I was pumped to see this movie. That's it's Taylor Sheridan, uh, Hell or High Water. I'm like, I'm in. I needed to see it. Well, and I'm not necessarily into the you know 
so much the personal study movies or however sure. you want to put that, but I thought sure. this was what a if, <laughs> Boyhood? Boyhood's a movie that we never are going to get that two and a half hours back. <laughs> Fucking Boyhood. That's the one. Yep. I feel you. I got you. But uh, I thought it was a great movie. I thought uh, both the actors and actress were are so good at their craft that they you didn't pick up that they were the I never picked up that they were the Avengers. They were totally different people in this movie, mm-hmm. and so I really give them kudos for their you know their abilities. And that uh, really did uh, be what I consider one of the better movies with a really good character. Uh, study and really one of the you know what they you know isn't a big action adventure movie but a very good way to spend a couple of hours right I mean, very, very interesting very entertaining uh i don't want to say it was very complex because i don't think it was i think it was kind of simple like yeah. we talked about the early westerns being this is a very back to you know a simpler time this sure is, they didn't have CSI out there. They, you know, they had a tent set up and they chainsawed the body out of snow, you right. know. And so it really didn't have a lot to do with the science of it. Right. It had to do with following through on the story of it. And uh, uh, just there's a couple of question marks for me. I think sure. we talked about that earlier. But Just a couple uh, of lines here or there. They mentioned uh, a, a big plot point, and we won't get into spoilers yet, uh, circles around the oil drilling site. And they said it was closed, but then we got there, and there's people there, and it's kind of some things, tiny things like that. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and it maybe just goes unanswered more than it goes as it's, right. uh, well, how, you know, Hmm, it doesn't how did that happen. That doesn't make sense. The logistics you know? aren't really of concern. Um, I agree with you in the sense that it's a very simple film. I mean, it's it very much like I mean, his other Sicario is one that is not quite as simple. There's a lot of is this person good? Is this person bad? But Hell or High Water, very simple film. Bank robbing brothers being chased by a Texas Ranger. Same thing with this. You got basically your cowboy in Jeremy Renner who's grown up with the Native American people. His ex-wife is a Native American. His son is half Native American. Um, and uh, and you have the outsider, the outsider fed. Almost could be a, a, a Pinkerton man in the Old West where they come in with their suit and bowler hat and they don't understand the West and they need the help of the tracker. And ultimately it boils down to the same shit that Westerns have all boiled down to. And I think that this is really cool um, that it is this, it does have these really deep, rich characters with histories and tragedies and backstories all set to, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but a, basically a police procedural. Yeah. It's basically, like I said, CSI Wyoming is a joke, but I mean, Dead body, find out who did it. I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah. You know? Um, I think you you mentioned a really important thing earlier, which was the sweeping vistas and how you didn't really see those in the modern Western. You know, it's much more quick cut, much more action, ba 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 ba. But with this, in the in the hills and the snowy mountains of Wyoming, boy, and Sheridan, this is his first time directing, and he directs the shit out of it. You really get a sense of of the scope of this land. Oh, beautifully shot and just huge. Yeah, just the wide openness of it. Right. Just an amazing job. Uh, it's. I'm not a big one to go see movies again and again and again sure. like you are, you know, but it's one I would really enjoy seeing again, and so I'd recommend it for just about anybody that nice. likes a character-driven movie. I like it. I like yes. it a lot. Um, and and then the other thing, you know, the other thing I wanted to mention is that you know it's a fairly serious movie, but I was I really enjoyed the the humor that was found in the characters, the reactions that like the Indian sheriff played by Graham Greene, and Graham Greene has been a stalwart character actor playing that. I mean, Graham Greene goes all the way back to Dance with the Wolves. Well, probably before. Probably before that, but that's where he came to fame. Yeah. Um, And he plays the sheriff, and he's just kind of like, kind of dealing with this FBI lady. She's like, we need backup. And he's like, this ain't the town of backup. This is the town. Take care of yourself. Um, And she's like, you only have six people. And he's like, "Uh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So those... Those little pieces. Oh, I bet you, yeah. I got at least a good half dozen good laughs out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Just, they just, uh, and you got laughs because they were so, they weren't made to be funny. It was just life. Right. And life you is know, funny. That was funny. Yeah. Life winds so, up being funny. 
Um, but I agree. I think this is probably this is one again. I, we've seen a lot of movies. We did this our twelfth episode. I've seen a ton of movies. This is one of my. I I'm in love with Taylor Sheridan as a creative mind. He's so I'll see anything he does, and with his direction, very steady hand and direction, um, really satisfying as well. Uh, I definitely recommend seeing this movie. I think if you want to see something that could be an Oscar contender later on down the road for writing or acting even, just like Hell or High Water was. Hell or High Water came out right around the same time last year. It didn't make a ton of money. It made maybe $30, $35 million. But when it came time for award season, a lot of people paid attention. Well, and I think people that didn't go and see it missed out. For sure. You know, we've gone and seen some other movies that I don't care if I ever see again. Right. And this There's is a lot what, of those. Yeah, more than we can count. Um, I was just telling your Spencer that uh, we saw a movie not too long ago. I won't use the name of it, but it was like, I could care less if I, I could watch an old John Wayne movie again. Yeah. Before I would want to see that movie see, again. Yeah. You know? That's, that's how it happens. So, Fortunate, so so brought pops in on it. Pops gives it his his glowing review. This is some this is some fresh popcorn like stuff. We we basically we're starting to do new a new version of movie reviews instead of stars or letter grades. We're doing popcorn now, and so it starts with the shittiest review you can get as burnt popcorn. Like that's the worst, and not slightly burnt popcorn because that's enjoyable. I'm talking literally <laughs> like black. You've burnt the bag; it's on fire. You fucked up. The birds popcorn. won't even even eat. Right, exactly. And then next to that, you have like that stale popcorn or the kind that you buy at like the grocery store in the in the bag. It's not great. I mean, it'll work in a pinch, but it's not great. And then in the middle of it, you have your microwave popcorn. It's good. You, you made it perfectly, maybe even air top uh, or stove top popcorn. That's your middle of the road. Fourth fourth rating is movie theater popcorn. It's the good stuff, right? And then the fifth, the five stars, is the perfect popcorn. It's perfect. It's You walk up to the counter, and the popcorn starts coming out of the popper, and they put the scoops in there, perfectly buttered, perfectly salted. And I'm willing to put this, and I haven't done it for many this year, but I'm willing to put this in the perfect popcorn category. You should check this movie out as soon as possible. It's not playing everywhere. So we only, we only have one theater that we had to drive to to go see it. But I'm willing to do it with Taylor Sheridan. So I'm picking perfect popcorn as my rating. What what do you think you would pick? Oh, I think it was a perfect popcorn movie, too. Perfect popcorn. I love I might it. Even, I might even include dumping the M&Ms on top. Oh, <laughs> that should be like the <laughs> that should be like a, the hidden hallowed sixth rating. Like, oh, this is not like you one movie a year gets this. Did you put Whoppers in this popcorn? You did it. You put the malted milk balls in here. Um, and so I want to talk about it in spoilers for a little bit just to talk about our favorite points because it's one of my favorite parts is to gush about the movie. So if you're planning on going to see Wind River and you don't want to catch any spoilers, stop listening now. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. But getting into spoilers with this movie, I think – my again, as I said, one of my favorite parts about this about Taylor Sheridan's movies is how you could literally reset this a hundred years ago or hundred and fifty years ago, and very very little would change. Oh yeah, you could have had you know some of the older stars play the Jeremy Rayner right. character. You know, absolutely, it was a great uh, you know Gregory Peck part. Uh huh. And even even in. Um, even in the resolution. So we're just fuck it. We'll just get right into it. So as they find out, and the way that it's told is they go out and they find out that the girl who died, she was dating this white guy who works security for the oil field, right? The oil station. And so they head out to the oil station and they meet the private security team of the oil station, like four or five guys, right? And they f they get into this real tense Indian, uh, Indian standoff, Mexican standoff. Because these private security guys, they don't recognize the reservation law as law, and they're basically assholes, and they all pull guns on each other, and the, and even one of the deputies like recognizes, like, why are you flanking me, man? And then it pops off, and, and everybody's pointing guns at each other, and then it calms down. I really like that. And then she knocks on the door, and it segues into a knock on the door the night of when it went down. And I really loved that. I loved how it didn't explain it to us in some monologue, 
No, I thought that was great that it as she stood at the door there. Right. That it, you know, kind of like you said, uh, flashback. Flashback. Yeah. And uh, showed everything that happened. Mm-hmm. And, and up until the girl, you know, ran. That they found, ran six miles away from the area that she was at barefoot. Right. And so it really showed how, why, and how, and mm-hmm. what happened. And uh, so it was, uh, and it was just a, really a short flashback to include and incorporate so much of the story. Exactly. So answers into the story. Exactly. And ultimately, I mean, spoiler alert, it winds up that very similar to the old movies of the day, the drunken ranch hands or the drunken, you know, paid help of the cattle baron. In this case, the drunken paid help of the oil platform uh, got drunk, raped this girl. She escaped and ran, killed her boyfriend, covered it all up, tried to cover it all up. Um, and then it just turns into this literally gunfight at the OK Corral. Yeah, great gunfight. Like, great, great gunfight. Like literally, I think from beginning to end, it's like what? Five, eight minutes? It's not very long. I don't Most think of it it's is that just long. I think it's about ninety seconds from, you know, when everybody shoots till, you know, then there's a minute of uh figuring out like, Oh God, what just happened? Well, oh they, they all that got guy shot dead? down. They were all standing around who wasn't dead yet, still kind of figuring out who they had to shoot and are right. you all right and you know, the mercenary, you know, oil well guards thought that they had, you know, done a pretty good job of cleaning out the, uh, you know, the, the sheriff. The and, sheriff and all which, them. you know, blows me away. I'm not sure what they thought they were going to do with, you know, five or six dead sheriffs and right. an FBI agent, you know, but apparently, you know. Well, then again, they're the type of fucking geniuses that come in and drunkenly rape somebody. So right. you got to imagine their planning skills aren't exactly at the highest level. No. Um, and then Jeremy Renner's just got his badass rifle and just starts mowing guys down. But I really loved how that could have been set in the 1860s. Yeah. And I loved how the tension built with that Mexican standoff. It's like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. And then it calmed down. And we're like, oh, it's super cool. And then she's standing in front of the door. And the one guy goes, he says, Pete, open up. The FBI standing right in front of the door. And I, I literally was, I almost said it out loud. I was like, oh, shit. Because, like, I recognize that he's giving him direction. And I, I didn't. And so, boom. And then yeah. she gets. So when the shotgun went off and sent her flying. Right. You know, it, it that shocked me. Because yeah. I didn't pick up on that like you did as quick as you did. Because I'm, st- I'm a, I'm a. I'm a, <laughs> I track that You're kind of shit. I'm a mercenary. <laughs> I'm strategic. <laughs> Um, but you know, that being said, one of my other favorite parts of the film as, as we get ready to wrap up here was how they kept like, this girl went through this terrible thing and she died because of it and it's terrible and it's tragic and it deals with that tragedy with her parents and juxtaposed with Jeremy Renner's losing of his daughter. But my, one of my favorite parts about it is how everybody still had this admiration for her because she ran six miles in the cold. Yeah barefoot to survive yeah. and that she was a warrior and Jeremy Renner just has this very poignant moment where he's telling people like she was a warrior yeah um and seeing what she went through and all that like that and uh, I mean we got to talk about the 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 final guy oh because it's like very rarely do you get um an ending that is like oh super satisfying <laughs> Like, I got to have a cigarette after this ending kind of thing. Um, And I'm trying to think of one of the most recent movies that I saw that that just kind of dropped the ball on the death of their villain. But I can't I mean, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, But when they, they Jeremy Renner shoots all those guys and they let the last guy run and Jeremy Renner's like, I'm going to go get him. He ain't coming back. And Elizabeth Olsen, the FBI agent's like, fine, I'm fine with that. And Jeremy Renner. Knocks him out, drags him to the top of the tallest peak in Wyoming. And the whole point of how she died and one of the interesting plot points of the film is that they couldn't label it as a homicide to get more FBI out here because she wasn't actually murdered. She, The nature killed her. Her lungs, her lungs uh, the blood vessels in her lungs broke because of the cold. And her, her, her breath literally froze. And so she drowned in her own blood. 
Yeah. So that's why they couldn't get back up. They were, the, and I thought they did a really good job of. That's a very interesting loophole to isolate our heroes. Right. But then when Renner pulls this guy up to the highest peak on the coldest day, and he's like, "It's the coldest day." Like in the summer, you might be all right, but now it's the coldest day of the year up here. And he doesn't have his shoes on, and he makes the guy confess. He's like, "No, you need to say it. You need to say what you did." And then is like, no, I said I'd let you go if you told the truth and you told the truth. And he's, you better start running. And just watching this guy run and choke on his own blood, which is a morbid thing to say, fucking so satisfying. To well, me. I like the fact that he told them it was six miles right. to the highway. You could make it to the highway. A little girl made six miles. You can make six miles or you can make 600 feet. I thought that was... That was fabulous. Yeah. But uh, my probably my, I don't want to say my favorite, but one of my favorite parts of the movie was at the end where the girl's father sitting on the grass there yep. just looking out. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he's got his face painted, an Indian face painting. Right. He, his death face. Yeah, he's got his death face on. And it's, uh, Jeremy asks him, what, what's with the paint? And he goes, it's my death face. He goes, how, how, how do you know? And he goes, I don't. I just made it up. <laughs> right. There's no one left to teach me. <laughs> and then he goes, uh, they're planning to leave. And he goes, I got to go wash this shit off. And yeah. so I found that part. Just, it's stuff like that. Yeah. It's that the, cracked me up. That's and, That was a great part. I also love that ending because it takes, it's not on purpose that you have the Indian man, the Native American man decked out in like the the basically right. the the 1920s costume department version of a Native American, and you have Jeremy Renner decked out as a cowboy, leather jacket, cowboy hat, whatever. It's done very purposefully, and I really liked that image because that was kind of going back to that slightly revisionist uh, direction that that westerns took. I mean, that is as much of anything about how. Well you know, we're in this together. They, we, we are, we are, are brothers by tragedy, and that kind of thing. Brothers by shared experiences and whatnot. I thought Renner crushed the shit out of this movie. Like I said, I didn't, I didn't see him as the actors, and I do that a lot when I watch movies. Sure. It's just even John Wayne played John Wayne. Sure. You know, Tom Cruise is always Tom, Tom Cruise. Yeah. And so I thought Jeremy Renner, although he, you know, still kind of this. Strong, silent type, mm -hmm. which is, I think, every hero plays it that way. There's sure. very few real talkative heroes. But uh, I really felt uh, that he was the character in the movie instead of Hawkeye playing in another movie. And I thought that was uh, great for him. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. Um, and so, again, going back into the uh, uh, coming out of spoilers, um, this is one of my favorite films of the year. I can't wait to write the review for it, which you can find uh, at the uh, uh, popcorndietpodcast.com. It's our website. Um, or any of our social media sites, as I've mentioned previously, you can find them uh, at Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. But, Pops, it's a pleasure having you. Well, thank you. This I, was awesome. I'm sure I can't take the place of David Melhorn. No. But with his incredible knowledge and uh, expertise, <laughs> but uh, I bring a little history. He you brought some real good history, he, man. He does. You guys don't watch anything made before 1970. We don't. Yeah. Never seen a black and white. So I'm if the cam <laughs> if the cameras don't sweep and move and nothing explodes, I'm out. That's not true at all. But uh, but thank you so much for doing I, this. I, I do know you draw a limit at anything that's not colored. You do some black and whites. <laughs> some black and whites will sneak in. Um, <laughs> uh, only if they're made modernly. That's you know, true. The modern City, black yeah, and white films. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's a, where it's an artistic decision. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean they didn't have color back then? <laughs> Fuck that. I'm out. Couldn't afford the film when they made that one. Never. I'm in on anything. There's actually a story where there were quite a few movies made in 19, uh, finish off. Sure. 1939. Uh, uh, Selznick, who was making Gone with the Wind, uh -huh. bought every bit of, colored film available okay so there were two or three big epic films made in 1939 that were uh black and white because there was no color film available interesting because selznick bought them all up oh and he had almost every camera in town too he was incredible with the gone with the wind well with gone with the wind i mean it's sure it showed on screen and it's still you know one of the greats it's the highest grossing know. film of all time adjusted for inflation yeah no one's gotten even close no, it's amazing. That's a cool story, man. And well, thank you. Again, 
uh, it's one of them westerns that didn't even get put out there. And yep. I don't know if you consider that a western because it's not in the West. It's more of a civil war. It was like we just watched the. Uh, Free State of Jones. Free State of Jones. Right. You know, and was right. that a Western or was it falls under that genre? I think I get confused, but I put it under the Western genre. Put it under the Western genre, especially if it has that that lone hero and deals with the same themes. Oh, and, and even that time in history. And that time in history, absolutely. Absolutely. So, we want the Westerns to be brought back. I am I love every time a new Western comes out, I'm interested. Especially if it's a if it's this isn't a big budget Western, but it's got prestige behind it. Right. But if you throw out a big budget Western, you know, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to see 310 to Yuma with Russell Crowe and Christian Bale. I'm in. Yep. You know, so that is going to do it for us again. I appreciate you so much for doing this. Thank you again. Uh, do not forget all you good movie buddies out there. Please like us, rate us, subscribe to us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Google Play, wherever you listen to it. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. That helps us out a ton. But other than that, for Pops, for David Williamson, I am your best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we're going to see you at the movies next time on the next episode of The Popcorn Diet.